Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Danny. Hey, hey. What's, how are you? What's up? I'm I'm very well. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, have you been very online over the last week or so? Very online. How online would you say you've very been? Very online. Eight <laughs> out of ten online. Yeah, I've been pretty online myself. Um, but neither of us have been anywhere close to you as online as the actor Eddie Marsan, who you might recognize from Deadpool 2 as the kind of like pedophile villain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and he was also in The World's End. Um, and he's yeah. been in a bunch of different... Vera Drake, he's just like a sort of British character actor who yeah, seems British... to pop up everywhere. Exactly. He's in Hancock, bizarrely. Don't know how he got Is that he? role. He's the villain in Hancock. Is he like an old pedo nut as well? Nah, he's a guy with like one hand, I think, or something. It's not a good movie. Interesting. He's in Miami Vice. Hmm. Bizarre. Anyway, he has a secondary career. It's like actor by day. Uh, by night, he's like a really angry online centrist guy. And I've become much more familiar really with his tweeting than with his acting career. <laughs> Uh, because he gets mentioned a lot by the people I follow. But he's had a couple of belters lately. He's probably not the most... I mean, he's not like the most extreme one, which is the actress Frances Barber. Uh, Madame Kavarian from Doctor Who. Exactly. <laughs> she is uh, something else entirely. Very, very out there. Uh, but Eddie Marsan does do some entertaining stuff. Uh, he recently tweeted about a week ago, this is this is probably the most pure self-parody type thing if i was running a general election campaign for a new centrist party the party political broadcast would just be a rerun of the 2012 opening ceremony with the words make britain great again at the end genius political strategy this is from the kind of attitude of like labor should be 20 points ahead in the polls you know why are they letting the shambles of the government remain level with them wasn't you know well it was a long ceremony, but wasn't the whole thing that was so great about it was... it was Long a bit for of like... a part of the school broadcast, <laughs> wasn't it? Bit bit too long, I would Might say. break uh, election laws to have a free hour. But <laughs> 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 political broadcast broadcast around the world. Yeah. It's yeah. even longer because they have to put the words make Britain great again at the end, so it has to be extended. But wasn't the whole thing one liked about it was that, you know, it was celebrated the Windrush generation and the NHS. It yeah. like, sounds like he just wants it to go back to 1945, right? It sounds like he wants to, he wants the spirit of 1945 with the election campaign of 1997, but in you know 2018 <laughs> was okay. is that is that too much to ask? Yeah, I'm just saying, you make know. Britain great again. Well, first of all, we have to have that Third World War, absolutely, and then we can have the spirit of 45 back. Yeah, can't um, wait for that World War when we're 55. I also like <laughs> there is also something really perfect about evoking the Trump slogan as well for his new centrist party. Like, is that really the model they want to? Uh, yeah. 
It's like, say what you like about Trumpism, but his nostalgia for a golden age that never existed is really a great model to copy. Yeah, absolutely. I love those like hats with his stupid fucking slogan on them. We, should, we really want our voters to be thinking about Donald Trump. In other Eddie Marsan news, he also, he also regularly beefs with Corbyn's former press spokesperson, Matt Slab Cousin, on Twitter. After Matt Slab Cousin quit Corbyn's uh, office in, around, I don't know when it was, 2017 sometime, he became a very sort of outspoken uh, Corbynite Twitter person, also quite online. And then he beefs with a bunch of people quite regularly. Slightly, he's quite combative. And so the background to this one is that the New European magazine, which is the, the kind of house uh, rag for like the most diehard Remainer types, published an article proclaiming the death of Corbynism. There was, there was a kind of front cover with a, a picture of Corbyn and his team, including a um, weeping Owen Jones for some reason in a kind of depiction that people thought was a bit homophobic. And uh, one of the articles anyway in it was um, Patrick Stewart saying uh that he's quitting labor over brexit basically you know brexit's too too important and Corbyn's not fighting brexit and zab carson's comment on this he said how would labor cope without the support of patrick stewart who couldn't even manage presenting an award without looking an absolute tit and then he linked to that clip of james corden and patrick stewart beefing uh Hell yeah at the glamour awards quite embarrassing glamour? instead for them both glamour glamour you remember that yeah where he's like i could see your belly Everyone can see your belly. It was a real, it was incredible. These two titans of wits. Duking <laughs> Trading blows. Yeah. It, was, it was amazing. It was, a, it was a treat for everyone to witness, yeah. wasn't it? From where I was sitting, I can see your belly. And uh, that was right over there at the back of the room. These people down here, uh, you know. Sorry, I'm waiting for the punchline. Go on. No, seriously, go on. Okay. No, um, go on. You can see my belly, and we can all see you dying right now. Let's go for it. Here we go. Um, anyway, Eddie, Eddie Marsans uh, was absolutely outraged that uh, Matt Zobcousin was going to dispatch his shit like that way, and he, he quoted him with the following diss. That's Sir Patrick Stewart, you piss-poor excuse for a progressive. He's a master of his craft, and he did it on his own, learnt it through years of hard work and dedication. He didn't need a cult to emerge and then shove his head up a politician's ass before anyone would listen to him. Wow. Devastating. He, he, a true progressive would be very reverential <laughs> towards the honest system. <laughs> exactly. Huh? It's great, isn't it? I just love it. That's Lord Sir, <laughs> Sir Patrick Jean-Luc Picard to you. The finest captain staff you've ever had. That's uh, Charles Xavier. I mean, it's got to be... I just feel a bit bad for these people who've become so sucked into this world, like... You know, you just should be on screen doing your acting and do you, stuff. Do your actings, mate. Much You've got to keep your public and private lives more separate. You know, just be that kind of angry political bore in your own family. And then everyone only knows you through acting on the screen. And then when you make public appearances, it should be like media managed things where you're only allowed to say the most like measly, inoffensive stuff about your favorite kinds of food or whatever. Yeah, and, you know, don't. This is too real. We're learning too much about you, and yeah, I think yeah. it's like it can't be good for the psychology of actors to have this kind of like barrier that gets broken down. Not it's just true. actors, like public figures generally. Yeah, yeah, I mean, definitely. Now I see Eddie Mars on, on screen. I can't help but think he's just like this slightly. Was he tweeting right before he did the scene? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, or it's like, um, who was that guy? Uh, John, uh, see, Lawrence Fox. Yeah, who was um, from Lewis. 
from Lewis. My mum's yeah. favourite TV show. Well, you sent uh, Chris and I that link to him performing this song about like the snowflakes complaining about snowflakes or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he's, then I, he's been red pilled. Yeah, he's been red pilled. He's become an alt right guy. And um, I went on his Twitter and it was like a picture of him in costume holding a guitar. And it's like, I'm supposed to be learning my lines, but I just can't keep away from my guitar or something. Keep away from the guitar, mate. Stay away, <laughs> stay, and stay, stay away from away your from phone. It. Both of those things, you need to keep them the fuck away from you and just learn your lines. Because now no one will be able to watch your show without thinking about how you probably like yelled at someone on the set for being a snowflake or something. Or that you're really worried about how like feminists are preventing men from being P- Peterson lobsters or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever, whatever they, they whatever they believe, whatever they whatever they weird shit they believe. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's yeah, a bit sad. Oh, for a simpler time. Ah, for a simpler time when I never knew what actors were doing until they turned on screen and delighted me with their antics <laughs> by saying words that they did not come up with themselves. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Anyway, Sam, uh, what's this podcast about? Glad you asked, Danny. This podcast. Well, um, it's kind of about everything. It's about like greed and uh, passion, love. Uh, it's quite sort of um, like balls to the wall kind of podcast. It's like takes no prisoners whatsoever, but I think it really captures um, today. You know, it really captures current society. So the podcast begins with a high level cartel lawyer with dirty hands who is known only as Danny Moran Ooh. and his girlfriend, Sam Foster. They are talking sexily in bed. And meanwhile, somewhere in Mexico, Cocaine is being packaged in barrels and concealed in a sewage truck, driven across the border and stored at a sewage treatment plant. Uh, after Danny Moran goes to Amsterdam to meet with a diamond dealer to purchase an engagement ring for Sam, he proposes and she accepts. At a party back in Texas, thrown by someone called Reiner and his girlfriend Malkina, a former cool girl with a greedy lust for money, Danny Moran discusses a nightclub he and Reiner intend to run, as well as an upcoming drug deal, which would be his first. Danny Moran meets with Westray, a business associate of Reiner's. He hears of the deal's 4,000% return rate. Pretty generous. Wow. But Westray warns Danny Moran about becoming involved, saying that Mexican cartels are merciless. Danny Moran remains outwardly confident and unconcerned. Malkina gains knowledge of the deal through her access to Reiner and by conveniently overhearing various intercoms in Reiner's home. Reiner describes an execution device called the Bolito, which gradually strangles and decapitates the victim. Reiner also tells Danny Moran how disturbed and oddly aroused he was from an instance where he witnessed Malkina masturbate with his Ferrari California's windshield. That's what I would be saying if this was an adaptation of the acclaimed 2013 Ridley Scott film The Counselor. <laughs> oh shit, that's what that was. <laughs> <laughs> I thought uh, this was straight to DVD <laughs> No, that's, that's <laughs> no. The Counselor Cormac McCarthy's <laughs> The Counselor Written by Cormac McCarthy Director of Ridley Scott Starring Michael Fassbender And various other famous people Happy about them and so on So this is just a podcast Where we talk about and review films I am Sam Foster And joining me The Counselor Danny Moran <laughs> Hey hey, it's me The Counselor <laughs> So on this episode of Film Chat I will be reviewing The Guardians Or to give it its original French title Les Guardians it's basically a French version of Guardians of the Galaxy. But instead of crazy characters zipping about in space, getting all kinds of mischief, it's a slow burn drama about how the horrors of war impact ordinary people. In fact, if Disney doesn't get Javier Beauvoir to direct Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I, for one, will be very surprised. Then, we both will be tackling Leave No Trace, which is basically a version of Guardians of the Galaxy, but instead of crazy characters zipping about in space, <laughs> getting all kinds of mischief, it's a slow burn drama about how the horror of war impacts ordinary people. In fact, 
if Disney doesn't get Deborah Granick to direct Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, I, for one, <laughs> will be very surprised. Quite similar movies, actually, I discovered with yeah. writing this. Plus, a look at the exciting new project from Greta Gerwig and an even more exciting-sounding TV project based on films which are definitely still very present in the public's imagination. 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 It's very, very present in my imagination. All of which should give me just enough time to read out my article recently published in the New European entitled Why I'm No Longer Watching Patrick Stewart on Screen. I've been a lifelong viewer of Patrick Stewart's outfit from that time he played a guy in Excalibur to when he played a shit in the Emoji movie. (laughs) But enough is enough. My beliefs no longer chime with Peastews, and as such, I must bid him adieu. I will not be watching him return to Jean-Luc Picard's. It's just too... He's just not the man I fell in love with. Quite right. Gotta take a stand sometimes. That's Sir Patrick Stewart to you. And he hasn't stopped Brexit. He hasn't stopped Brexit. Why, was it, why won't Patrick Stewart stop Brexit? He's got the use, power to, and he won't yeah. do it. Can't he literally stop time? Or do you stop everyone else from moving, using his mind? Yeah. Why don't you just stop all the Brexiteers from uh, being stop, alive? Yeah, he doesn't stop time. He just—it yeah. looks like he has though, because he just, stopped everyone moving with his mind. It's going to Cerebro and kill all the, uh, kill all the, kill the Brexiteers. <laughs> kill can't pick them out. Yeah. yeah, X-Men Two made it clear that he could do that. Yeah. Right. Coward. Coward. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking coward. John Luke Coward. Films, 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 Danny, once again, you've been the social media master. I'm a PR genius. I'm like the Boris Johnson of film Twitter. I'm doing an MA in communications. What the fuck, mate? You should be doing this MA, given that you're you're really the master communicator. I've learned... I'm just... You know, I'm your apprentice. Imagine if you were doing it. Just just, imagine. This stuff I've just gleaned from you in passing. I don't get involved myself. I just uh, hide in the shadows. Yeah, you're the puppet master. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you're a genius communicator. Yeah, yes. Anyway, at my bidding, in some kind of indirect way, you took to Twitter to ask the following question. If the Marvel Cinematic Universe was being made in the 70s, who would you cast? What inspired this question, Danny? I don't want to seem too impressed by it, but what was your process? Um, It's because the Empire podcast tweeted that they needed like a question for their podcast. Yeah. And I figured... I want to get some exposure, you know, trying to boost the image of film chat. And I was sure. like, they love the Marvel movies. So that came to mind. You'll love this. You'll you. love this you'll thing. S- you'll eat this and then up. I think like, yeah, like the sort of fantasy recasting is quite a good route for a well, when I was, engagement. When I was thinking about this, what I thought made it kind of interesting is because is how it's hard to kind of consider it without imagining how those movies would work in that context because the era of blockbusters was obviously totally different or hadn't really begun. Yeah. And the political kind of context was very different. The Marvel Cinematic Universe is very Obama-era liberal Hollywood in some ways. I don't know, don't want to sound too, like, uh, flippant with that. but That it's... degree's paying off. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
uh, insofar as it is kind of struck through with a sort of post-Bush cynicism or skepticism about American institutions, but also this kind of Obama-era belief in the power of the correct elites to make the right decisions to correct the problems, if yeah. you see what I mean. So, like, something that I was only recently thinking about with Iron Man is the odd way in which he starts off as, like, an arms dealer. He's, like, embedded in the military-industrial complex and the war in the Middle East. Bad. Clearly bad. Bad. Uh, but the lesson he learns is to stop manufacturing weapons in his big company, but then just manufacture them in his house and attach them to his, himself. <laughs> and then he still goes to the Middle East and, and kills people there. And that's cool now. So it's like, it's a very confused movie, but that, that sort of attitude. So it's also true in the um, slightly Cold War paranoia-esque Captain America films, but not they don't really commit to the bit because he's still a symbol yeah. of all that's good and about America and... Yeah, yeah, he's he's still this. It's just like vigilanteism rather than doing it as part of the American government, you know. So anyway, so but it's just these questions obviously come up when you're thinking about who you would cast in the '70s version. Yeah, I guess that's true. And also, it's just like '70s was the age of like the new movie star, which yeah. doesn't really exist in the same way. So it's like, what is the '70s equivalent of Robert Downey Jr.? It's like yeah, the kind of types of actors are different now. Well, I, I was kind of thinking like. What sort of Captain America is it? Is it like the Captain America who would be more like... Because if, if you're casting a sort of all-American hero type, or are you casting that slightly ironic version that Chris Evans sort of represents? Well, you know, it's very know. interesting. Anyway, so shall I read some suggestions? Certainly. So, uh, Hoppo, regular um, correspondent with us, suggests the following. Captain America, Martin Sheen, Iron Man, Gene Wilder, Black Widow, Meryl Streep, uh, Bruce Banner, Jack Nicholson, and Thor, Tim Curry, with three exclamation marks. Then he's got like a picture of Tim Curry, <laughs> <laughs> sort of dressed like a kind of like thespian pirate, I guess. But, uh, you know, <laughs> I guess he can finally return to space. <laughs> to space. <laughs> I'm escaping to the one place that hasn't been corrupted by capitalism space. You can say the word space a lot. Yeah, you can say space, just like he does in Command and Conquer Generals or <laughs> whatever that's from. Um, and then uh, you replied to push him on Hawkeye because yeah, who's uh, be Hawkeye? he didn't mention who's Hawkeye and his suggestion for that is uh, the Robin Hood from the Disney Robin Hood film, like the sort yeah. of sexy fox. Yeah, great choice. Sure. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, we also got a suggestion from Real Politic Podcast. They just say M. Emmett Walsh. Don't give a fuck who has any or all of them. <laughs> M. Emmett Walsh. <laughs> Get him in there. Brilliant. Brilliant. Why not? And Morton Marifat suggests Brian Glover as Thanos. Incredible. <laughs> yes. Very good. Uh, what do you What do you make of these? Like, do you have any reactions or takes to the names I've listed? <laughs> <laughs> I think there's any just commentary like, comments just, to add. I don't know. It just sounds like. Just a bunch of actors from the seventies, and just randomly like like names out of a hat slightly. Yeah, I guess they haven't. You know, the the the, the um, rationale has not been explained here, so you have to kind of uh, work that in yourself. I mean, I guess um, Gene Wilder as Iron Man is that kind of because he's like a madcap inventor in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or something. Sure, and he was around the seventies. So, was, <laughs> so, so there you go. Yeah, pretty good. We also got some suggestions on Facebook. Joe McCormick. Suggested Apocalypse Now era Brando as Thanos. It's pretty good casting. You know, all you got to do is be like huge and have some sort of bullshit philosophy you uh, kind of monologue about. You can definitely do that. Definitely. 
And then he says, uh, Woody Allen as Bruce Banner with performance issues. Which I remember you saying like that you thought Mark Ruffalo's performance had gone like full Woody Allen in the most recent Avengers movie where he's like, yo, fairness, man, Tony, yeah. you gotta, yo, oh, jeez. Yeah, his performance definitely is uh, getting increasingly Woody Allen-esque. Or in, or in Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok. It's like, no more beings. I'm not going to fight any more beings. Listen, my people are in great danger. And you and I, we have to fight this really powerful being who also happens to be my sister. Okay, that is so wrong on so many... I don't want to fight your sister. That, that's, a, that's a family no, issue. She's an evil being. I don't care how what she is. I'm not fighting any more beings. I'm sick of it. Yeah, and plus he's a little weedy guy, so his transformation of the Hulk would be all the more impressive. Yes. And then Tim Rogers suggested Pacino as Tony Stark? And Robert Redford taking Captain America so he can find himself 40 years later. <laughs> Which I think is good casting, because I, I kind of thought they'd cast Robert Redford because he would be the guy they would have cast had they met in the 70s. He's like a super handsome, blonde, all-American-looking dude. And he's a bit of a subversive character, right? It'd be like you are saying, like ironic Captain America, because he was... He's like a big political dude. Big political guy, you know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he made politics. that movie Lions for Lambs, didn't he? Made that movie Water. He loved the Watergate thing. He was yeah, like, he made that movie. The, you know that movie Watergate? That movie Watergate. Famously, he was in that. Yeah, the men, the yeah, men who did Kevin Watergate. Costner, like he's like a fish man. I forget yeah. what happens. <laughs> Watergate, you know. <laughs> anyway, these are all excellent suggestions, but, but not as are good. your suggestions more excellent, Sam? <laughs> Here's what I came up with earlier: Iron Man, Warren Beatty. That's good. That's what I had. Really? Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> because Great he's minds. Cause he's so vain. Yeah, exactly. Probably thinks his song is about him. He's kind of vain. He's got you know that kind of like slightly off kind of weird manner to him, you know. Yeah, and he's like an all-conquering movie star in the same way Tony Stark is like this sort of billionaire playboy philanthropist or whatever. Excellent. Right? I wonder if I hope we just we'll just go down these and it's going to be <laughs> we're going to be the same for everyone. Exactly. Captain America, Harrison Ford. I was thinking. I was thinking more along the lines of the slightly wry. Kind of like he's dressed as in the costume, but you know he does, he's not. He realizes that it's a bit lame. Kind of similar thing that Chris Evans is nice. doing. Also, super handsome, obviously, in the seventies. Cool. Hulk. This is a bit of an odd choice. Uh, Klaus Kinski. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking more of the kind of m- m- mad <laughs> scientist kind of angle. <laughs> thinking more of a sort of mad angle on that whole thing. <laughs> like, completely fucking insane. Just think it would be good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> be funny to watch him transform into the Hulk. But <laughs> I think he'd be less angry as the Hulk. That's the problem. <laughs> he chills out. He just chills the fuck out as the Hulk. <laughs> when he's like completely wrecking the place and like smashing buildings and stuff, and you're like, it's actually usually a bit <laughs> for him. This is this is pretty chilled out. <laughs> uh, Hawkeye, Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Okay, cool. It's kind of like young and buff. Yeah. You know, what else do you need for Hawkeye? Like, uh, it's hard to find an interesting choice for that. I was struggling a bit to think of anyone good for Black Widow as well. So there's a bit of a dearth of female action heroes. Yeah. And when I was trying to think of female action, what I what came to mind was like Pam Greer, Black Exploitation. Yeah. Uh, so I was thinking Pam Greer. I don't know if it's a bit sort of on the nose sounding to have Black Widow played by a black actress. Well, she, she plays a character called Coffee, so... <laughs> I think that's fine. And Foxy Brown. And Foxy so, Brown, yeah. So, so, uh, I think it's fine. So it's fine, yes. Um, Thor, another another slightly sort of left-field suggestion. Probably not what you had for Thor. I was thinking Tom Jones. 
I just think he's got a big voice. I think that's important for Thor. Yeah. Um, and he's proven that he can act because in Mars Attacks, he's yeah, in that. Yeah, very good in Mars Attacks. And he's a sort of sex symbol, isn't he? Very sexy. And he's he was alive at this in during the period of and the he 1970s. Was alive. My other thought for this was uh, just give it to Kenneth Branagh. He obviously wants it. You know, he's he's in his uh, teens at this time. <laughs> Um, he's already the best actor in the world. He's, <laughs> he's clearly he's become the best actor in the he's, world. He's, he's a, just read the comics, you know. He's just come from the like uh, sweet shop, whatever, to buy his lemon <laughs> sherbet, and he's got his like copy of Thor tucked under his arm. And then I think some Hollywood uh, agent should arrive and whisk him off and cast him as Thor. I think he'd love that. Yeah. So it's more wish fulfillment for Kenneth really than for anything else. But I just thought it'd be nice. Um, and then finally for Vision, uh, Roger Moore. I was thinking. Nice. I think he'd be good. Hello, I'm <laughs> Well, Stark. I was born yesterday. <laughs> I think it works. Yeah. All right, what, what have you got? Okay, the Hulk. So Richard Dreyfus, because he's another sort of nebbish, nerdy-looking dude. Thanos, I had Marlon Brando, Iron Man, and Warren Beatty. Thor, Oliver Reed. He's a huge boomer. Shit, I man. was actually, yeah, I was thinking about Oliver Reed as well. But, like, I wasn't sure if it had to be someone who was, like, kind of muscly. That's the problem. Like, the body they types are very different. The body the types are too. Like it's hard to find someone who's both a kind of like booming thespian type, or who does the voice at least, and also has that kind of like ultra hot gym bod. Yeah, no one had the gym bob and gym bob. No one had gym bob. No one had gym bob back in the day. Where's gym bob going? What they cost gym bob? Where's gym bob? They didn't have him in the seventies. Yeah, so that's why I was thinking Tom Jones. Yeah, split the difference. Have someone who's got neither of those things, but it's kind of like somewhere in the middle. Yeah, there's, there's, yeah, that makes sense. Um... <laughs> For Doctor Strange, I had Gene Wilder because he played Willy Wonka. You know, it's he's a weird. wizard, isn't he? He's, he's a, a wizard, chocolate wizard, wizardy man. <laughs> for Loki, I had Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, you've cast, you've done more casting than I did. For uh, Black Widow, I had Sybil Shepherd. What was the on what basis? She was around the seventies, and she's kind of she's a good actress. <laughs> I guess it's making you realise that that is an ill-defined character who does not have enough, exactly. Yeah, like, it's exposed to weaknesses in the MCU. Yeah. Scarlet Witch, I had Sissy Spacek. Oh yeah, she's Carrie. She so. was Carrie. She was already a witch in that film. <laughs> and then I, I struggled to think of just black actors working in the seventies. Oh, uh, for um, for uh, Nick Fury. Well, I didn't even get Nick for Black Panther. I just put James Earl Jones because <laughs> he was around and he's got a he's very commanding. Yeah, I could see him as he's a authoritative. King. Yeah, he played Mufasa, right? So he yeah. played a Lion King. So why not the King of an African? I don't know if that's some. Quote. Well, he was Darth Vader, the King of the, uh, the Empire. <laughs> Pretty sure he's a Lord Sam. It's Lord Vader. Uh, no, I think it's King Vader. <laughs> you might need to rewatch those movies, Danny. And uh, the Falcon. I just put Richard Roundtree. Just get Shaft to play the Falcon. <laughs> Wisecracking black guy. Great. Any more? Did you do any more? No, I never. Didn't get around to Hawkeye. Who are you going to cast as the Stan Lee cameo? Um. Who is sufficiently old? Walter Who's Houston. The, who was the oldest man? <laughs> who's Walter Houston? It's, uh, John Houston's dad, who's in uh, Treasure alive? of Sierra Madre. Is he alive in the 70s? I don't know. John Houston's pretty old in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let me just look at Walter Houston. <laughs> See when he died. Uh, just loading up here. Walter Houston. Oh, he died in 1950. <laughs> <laughs> all right so he died two years after the treasure of sierra Madre. <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry about that so he might be too old so but maybe john maybe we can have john play the stan lee cameo yeah sure <laughs> you can't have stan lee play he's too young at the time yeah completely young yeah wouldn't work 
Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped, Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You know which film I thought has got a lot more mileage in it? The Bourne, the Bourne franchise. Oh, man. The Bourne franchise. They're only just getting started, aren't they? But I feel like the movies are just... There's too much... It's like having a movie of Game of Thrones or something, you know? It just always feels like very compact, very... All the information spilling out. Can't quite contain the story it needs to tell. Yeah, yeah. They're just I rushing I feel short-changed. Absolutely, yeah. They don't, they don't dwell on the details of the institutions and stuff like that. And I think... The best part of the Bourne franchise <laughs> is, is this shadowy organization, Treadstone. Yeah, I, re- I really for. like the uh, the Treadstone uh, institution that he works for. Yeah, that kind I'm... of like, it's like the super CIA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I've always wished, hoped and prayed <laughs> that they would make a TV show based on this. Let me just check the old news here. Oh my God, they're doing it. Wow. So the Channel USA, who are most famous for making mr robot yeah. that's their big uh, it's, the, the, it's the channel version of the country the united states of america exactly they basically bought the robert ludlam back catalog so mm-hmm. they can make a movie kind of based sort of in the world of born called treadstone and it's created by and will be show run by tim kring who was a writer on heroes remember that show heroes which mm-hmm. everyone was excited for for like one season and everyone thought like shit and it's no one really talks about it anymore yes anyway he's still around and now um, he's making a show about villains he's making a villain and raman barani who the director who made 99 homes and is making the upcoming fahrenheit 451 tv movie hbo is going to direct a pilot it's not sure how it will play out who's going to be in it what's going on it sounds like it's going to have a political edge don't you think? You know how those books were written in the 90s and the movies were made in the noughties and it was very sort of current. I feel like 30 mm. years on, mm. the insights are going to be very applicable those to the like modern geopolitical landscape. Extremely post 9-11 war on terror type movies that felt completely clapped by the time of the most recent Jason Bourne film. Yeah. Probably got a lot more to say. Yeah. I think you can really capture most of what's important about politics right now just by looking at like how the CIA's own CIA is bad or something. <laughs> I mean, there was a bit of that same confusion in Sicario 2 as well, where it's like, you know, the, the shorthand for serious geopolitical analysis of the US empire is just like bits from Syriana, like deleted scenes. Yeah, people yeah. making deals. We, we've heard it, you know, yeah, like the Americans, they're abroad, they're torturing people, that you know. Obviously, it's good to raise awareness of these things, but it's like just replacing actually understanding the world. You know, it's like that plus fake news, basically. That would be that would be my guess if I had to uh, predict what the show will focus on. Yeah, it feels it's uh, it just seems like one of those other stories where it's, it seems impossible just to make an original show. You have to attach to some kind of intellectual property. Yeah, I don't know if it's like this guy had an idea for a you know a government organization. They're like, can it be the one from the Bourne movies? And have like, you considered okay. calling it Treadstone? 
Yeah, exactly. Have you considered casting uh, uh, Chris uh, Cooper in it? <laughs> yeah, young like Chris one, Cooper. It's uh, like any sort of endless parade of like very relatively famous character actors who are kind of evil, like craggy suit, face men, craggy suit men. Yeah, seems like a bad idea. They should make it like a super group of all the villains from all of the Bourne movies, and it's like about them as young men. So they put them into the de aging uh, face off machine from. Um, uh, that the Marvel uh, studios use in every every one of their films now. So it's like Brian Cox, Chris Cooper, Albert Finney, Tommy Lee Jones, and Tommy Lee Jones, yeah, and David Strathairn, or the... yeah, 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 exactly. All, all, all your favorite kind of like white-haired evil men in suits making the hard decisions and stuff. And uh, I mean, that's a great cast. So. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm on board. And they're all sitting in a room arguing about who has the least morals and stuff. Sick, sick. Can't wait. Can't wait. So, Danny. That sounds pretty good, but I was just wondering if there are any more TV shows on the way that are tangentially connected to things that have long since passed by in the popular imagination. Uh, let me just have a little look at my... Oh, would you believe it? They're going to make a prequel TV show based on the film Sexy Beast. Brilliant. Remember the film Sexy Beast from 2001 starring yeah. Ray rich, Winston? Rich lore in that film, wasn't there? A, a rich world of lore to explore. <laughs> And uh, Ben Kingsley as Don Logan. Yeah, it was only scratching the surface. Um, Well, a potential series is is being muted, and it has a Sopranos veteran writer, Michael Calio, attached to scripts, and will trace how Gal, the Ray Winston character, initially formed a partnership with Don, the Ben Kingsley character, um, when he started working for Teddy, who was the Ian McShane character. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it's going to be some sort of 70s London... I mean, Seven, it wouldn't be the 70s, would it? No, is it like a really far back prequel? Yeah, I don't know when he quit. The 80s, I guess? Isn't... So, has he been retired for like t- like decades by the time of the start of Sexy Beast? Uh, isn't it I've, set... A, like, a, Isn't it like a contemporary set film? Yeah, it is, but I'm just saying that that movie's 2001 and he's like 45 in it. Is it like him as a super young man, like entering a life oh, of maybe. crime? I kind of it... assumed he was like, you know, he just retired, you know few years ago or something but i yeah, guess i guess, it, I guess it, for it to be dramatically interesting it would make more sense for it to be a bit of a longer period of time i suppose they spend like like you know roasting and that uh in spain yeah incredible are they going to cast ray are they going to put him into the de-aging machine from marvel studios who is the ray winston of nowadays that's the real question who is the who is a young ben kingsley danny dyer danny dyer he plays both roles but he's already like 40 you know <laughs> like... yes that's true um yeah rafe sport jack o'connell jack o'connell <laughs> yeah because then it's like there's always the thing about how he's like not much fit and he's like let himself go yeah so, so it would be like a very trim yeah physically fit guy exactly to make the transformation I it's gonna be he's gonna look like jonathan reese myers in the uh, tudors television series <laughs> you know it's like not like your image of the character he's much sexier i wonder like how it would be shot though because everything is like jonathan glazer's direction kind of makes that movie I remember there's a really good YouTube channel called Trailers from Hell, which is just famous actors and directors and authors just commenting on movies they like over the trailer. It's run by Joe Dante, who did the Gremlins movies. And there's one with Dennis Lehane, who is the author of Gone Baby Gone and uh, Shutter Island and was a writer on The Wire and stuff, talking about sexy beasts. Although talking about um, Get Carter, and he says, like, American movies and... uh, like other countries gangster movies are always so like romantic and like glamorous but like british movies are like fucking brutal like british gangster movies they're all like there's nothing glamorous about the life everything's like washed out it's all like horrible and nihilistic 
but like sexy beast isn't like that it's quite a atypical british gangster movie in a way because it's so glam like glitzy well the way it's, it's very it's very um poppy yeah it's not sort of doesn't like depict a glamorous life it's not like a sort of scorsese type goodfellas thing i mean you, know, you can tell he's like a music video director yeah originally absolutely or exactly like every trick out of his pl- yeah. it's sort of like borderline overdone and it is i think it is one of those things that's kind of cool in a way that some people picked up the wrong lessons from i feel like layer cake is a bit of like jonathan glazer karaoke yeah yeah, yeah. from a guy who's just like yeah i know how to direct it's just like cool tracks and zooms and fancy shots and you know like yeah. just write good composition or whatever yeah, i don't whatever. know whatever so i can imagine it being an intensely irritating television series if it tries to copy the like jonathan glazer style and it's some like but it comes out like hustle or something you know (laughs) (laughs) relentless like uh constant like effects and like clever clever um camera moves i also think that sort of the don logan thing of his like weird pseudo iambic patamata like cockney shakespeare thing is like it's so, so borderline, yeah, like terrible. Yeah. Like the movie, like Dom Hemingway's like that, where he's just like sort of talking about that. Like, oh, it's a bit in a Dom Hemingway where he's describing a hangover. He's like, it's like my cerebellum's the bloody Bastille and it's being stormed right now. And he's just like, everything's yeah. a fucking metaphor. And it's like, shut up. Fuck you. You don't know my head. You don't know the revolution going on inside of it. Fucking insurgents inside my brain. Cossacks sodomizing my cranium. It's just, it's only, I think... The, My worst film I've been in, I would say, Dom Hemingway, by some distance. The worst film you've ever personally <laughs> been I've in. I've ever personally been in. <laughs> well, is it been... even worse than that um, Brian Singer film, uh, uh, Jack Pito, the Giant Killer? Pedo Singer's uh, comeback movie. <laughs> Jack the Giant... <laughs> pedo Singer's comeback movie. Yeah. Yeah. He was a, he's a pedo, and it was like his, you know, blockbuster, back in the blockbuster yeah. territory, but it was terrible. That, I've never seen that film, to be honest with you. So it could be worse than Dom Hemingway, you don't know. I doubt it. Like, what else have you been in? Was an extra in the film Blackwood. Um. <laughs> it's like a horror <laughs> film. I was a, I was actually a runner on it, and then I became a sort of assistant grip, and uh, I'm just like in one of the shots. I've not seen it. So yeah. Also, I haven't seen that also one. I haven't seen that so one. So is this the only film? That you is it also the best film that you've been in, as far as you're aware? I haven't, seen, I haven't seen all of it. I gave up on half now. Well, a lot of actors say they don't like to watch their own work. So I, I watched up to my scene, and I wasn't very prominent in the. You weren't very prominent, <laughs> very prominent <laughs> really. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, there's a little inside into Dumb Hemingway. I'm in one shot as Jude Law's coming to a bar in the background. Yeah, and it cuts to him watching Amelia Clark sing, and I'm in the crowd. It doesn't make sense. Doesn't make any <laughs> Terrible sense. I wanted Robert Webb to pick up on it on like greatest movie <laughs> mistakes, but it never happened. That show had been cancelled. <laughs> if only they picked up on it, they might have renewed the show. Anyway, a little nice. insight into my film career. Anyway, moving on. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask we poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. It's that time of the show again where I give a piping hot take on a movie I saw almost a year ago. And that you will see never. (laughs) You will see never. This one is called The Guardians or Le Guardians, but in French is The Feminine, Le Guardians. So something has been lost in translation because it's all about the women on the home front in World War One era France. And uh, it's set in the south of France. And it mainly takes place in this farm run by a widowed matriarch called Hortense. And her two sons, Constant and George, have gone off to fight in World War One. 
and she's running the place with the assistance of her daughter Solange, whose husband Clovis has also gone to fight, and they enlist the help of this orphan called Francine to work on the farm. And it's a slow burn drama set over the course of World War One and depicts the toll it takes on everyone, not just the men in a sort of physical, psychological sense, but also the women who have to run the place and kind of get on with things and stoicism expected of them, even though that's, in a way, as hard as going off and finding in a ditch somewhere. Um, here's a clip. So, I really like this film. It is, on the surface... It's almost like a parody of a certain type of movie where it's like a period drama where nobody talks very much and there's a lot of sighing and looking and furtive glances and a lot of just the everyday life in a way which may test some people's patience. Um, But I think that's very in tune with what the film's themes are because it's about how the women, the Guardians, have been left to fend for themselves and... Uh, they have to, you know, suddenly in charge of jobs they're not never really done in their life, and they will rise to the occasion. But they are equally emotionally tormented by the war, uh, in that they've got to work all the time and they're constantly worried about their sons and husbands. But they aren't afforded the emotional space to grieve. It's acceptable for the men to come back and be like horrible and messed up, but the women aren't allowed to. Because it's like, you know, you're just here on the farm. I'm actually fighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a very sort of turn of the century kind of like, well, not in the turn of the century. Up until quite recently, that sort of uh, openness around people's mental health obviously didn't exist in 1915. And so the whole kind of repressed filming style suits the story in a way which I thought was really effective. The performances are great. The standout is Natalie Bai as this stoic but vulnerable matriarch. She's the one who has had the most stuff to deal with and the most getting on with things. And it's a real kind of acting masterclass in that it's a film where nobody screams or shouts or really raises their voice. And you just have to sort of determine their emotions from very minute everyday things. You know, someone washing the dishes is the equivalent of someone having a total mental breakdown. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? It's all like done in like everyday situations. And uh, Iris Breyer's Francine is a really magnetic performer she's a it's her first movie she was like cast off the street it seems like a, ve- a thing that happens in movies whenever there's like a sort of beautiful young woman in a film it's like we just found her at a bus stop i'm waiting for that to happen to me yeah it's, it's gonna happen to you buddy thanks man and she does have this certain presence about her and i think i've discussed in the show before like this very male thing of films about women where the director is just clearly in love with his actress and so shoots her as if she's on this alien exotic incredible thing it seems like a very male gaze yeah. thing. I don't know what the female equivalent of that is. Well, weren't we talking a bit about this recently and thinking that it was you were never yeah. really here? Yeah, and that was the only one I could think of, an example of where a, a male actor is given the same kind of like relationship weird... with the camera yeah, yeah, that's with a female a, director. Yeah. So yeah, it's like a bit of a sort of cliche, but it, it kind of works with this movie because she's an outsider to the family and because she's an orphan and had quite a hard upbringing, she's almost like more psychologically prepared for like war. Like her circumstances have actually improved because of World War One because she's got a full-time job, which is better than what she was doing before. And she's this hardworking, cheerful presence, which the family initially warmed to, and then people start to kind of resent almost. It's like, how dare you be happy? And the way 
her kind of character arc is she's the sort of collateral damage of the war i thought it was kind of like this interesting point the movie makes about how war affects i mean it's not the most insightful of things <laughs> war affects everybody yeah but just the way uh kind of life goes on and like it just throws up all this horrible stuff which impacts people in most random kind of ways but it's all kind of connected to this one tragic event so yeah when i saw this at the london film festival there's like a few walkouts and when the movie is over some people like rolling their eyes and like oh my god it's over and i think the reason some people maybe struggle with it is because they're not as smart as me no but because uh the whole movie is operating this very particular register which is devoid of the usual emotional signifiers the editing is very sparse there's no music there's no pathetic fallacy and similarly the performances are very subdued and so you kind of have to work your way through the film it's not going to like help you along but if you kind of tune into what it's doing it really rewards your patience it's got quite a long movie it's like two hours 20 but it kind of sets off at quite a slow pace and does not get quicker so you know what you're in for <laughs> yeah so if you're willing to give it the time of day worth a watch i mean i don't really want to go back and revisit it but i just thought it was effective in what it was trying to achieve is there how do you watch it is it is it in Curzone or whatever it's in Curzone, and then i'm sure it'll be at a hugely overpriced blu-ray <laughs> criterion Shop release near you yeah Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The lot is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Okay. Leave No Trace. I know you mocked me last week as someone who only sees <laughs> the broadest cinematic releases for the idiots out there. Yeah. But you dragged your <laughs> idiot friend, me, along to the cinema to uh, watch a proper film by a real director, Deborah Granick, who's previously uh, well-known for Winter's Bone, which launched the career of Jennifer Lawrence. And her latest film is called Leave No Trace. It is an adaptation of a book called My Abandonment by uh, Peter Rock. It's written by Deborah Granick and Anne Rossellini, and it stars Ben Foster as a veteran who has post-traumatic stress disorder and is living in a uh, public park outside Portland, Oregon, with his daughter, Tom, who's played by uh, Thomasin McKenzie, who I assume is a newcomer, or is not particularly well-known. I mean, she was in The Hobbit, but I don't know as who. Ah, yes, from The Hobbit. One of Luke Evans' kids, maybe? Right. Um, Um... Early on in the movie, the pair are uh, picked up by the authorities um, because they're not allowed to sleep in the park and uh, are separated um, briefly. And Tom, the daughter, encounters some uh, people at this, like, uh, whatever government, you know. Kind of social services services processing. Yeah, exactly. Um, And she has a conversation with them. And here is a clip of that happening. So what are you doing here? I wasn't where I was supposed to be. So they took me away. Oh, they don't think I was where I was supposed to be. Okay, where were you? With my dad in the park. So you were homeless then? No. Why else would you be living in the woods? Okay, if you had a home, they wouldn't have brought you here. Well, they just don't understand that it was my home. Where's your dad now? 
Think he's somewhere in this building? He's gonna come get me. Tiffany know when his parents come back for them? No. Me neither. Um, I did not see Winter's Bone. I've seen it. Which you have seen. So I think you will probably be able to give more, you know, insight into this movie from the Deborah Granick perspective. But I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was it was very good. It centers around two extremely strong performances from Ben Foster and uh, Thompson McKenzie, both of whom do not sort of act out, especially. I mean, a lot of what you were saying about uh, The Guardian does sound like it could be somewhat applicable to this film and that it's people who are suffering with the consequences of war in some way and do not show their difficulties on the surface. It all remains ex- exceedingly coiled up. Um, and it seems like a particularly challenging thing for Ben Foster, who is given the sort of role which, in a more Oscar-begging type movie... More melodramatic kind of take on it. There's like a version of this film in which you know the trailer would feature a lot of like screaming and yelling and people would be like, give this guy an Oscar. But the script... He is... would smash a mirror, definitely. Yeah, exactly. He would definitely smash a mirror. Um, but the script does not really afford Ben Foster these opportunities, and so he has to do um, sort of make do with the smaller gestures and stuff. But it's very, very effective. And I think one of the things that works well about the movie is like the way that although he remains kind of uh, superficially emotionally together, he is not holding himself together in the other level of his actions. Yeah. And there's that kind of disconnect between like being, you know, able to converse with people and engage and you know he's not like violent or you know any anything like that he doesn't have those kinds of like signifiers that you would expect from um, a more melodramatic type of movie but um, the things that he does are clearly somebody who is not remotely keeping his shit together um yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah mate yeah another thing it reminded me of the guardians this is quite a superficial point but something that keeps it kind of interesting is the way there's a lot of like process in the movie and the Guardians are like that. It's a lot like just them making charcoal and like sowing the land. And this is like them like setting up camp, doing everyday tasks. I don't know if it's me, but I find like that is very enthralling. It's the same like I can watch like those YouTube videos of like the most satisfying thing in the world, and it's just like someone like sharpening a stick. And I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm just like, <laughs> I find it kind of pleasurable to watch. And yeah. It's like because it's two hours long and it's not super plot orientated, and there's just a lot of they meet a character and they have a bit of interaction. But all that stuff is kind of quietly quite compelling. I was kind of yeah. taken with it. Well, they it, it's it's they kind of intersect with society in various different levels. I mean, they are not totally they don't live like totally isolated hermit lifestyles in the opening part of the movie when they're living in the park. There's a kind of a society there of like ex veterans um, who they sort of somewhat engage with, and they also like they go into town to do the shops and stuff with that. Um, and there's like a lot of um, processes and systems that have been set up there you know, that they've yeah. sort of created to sustain themselves. And then when the uh, state intercedes, then there's like a new set of processes and systems and social interactions and different things they have to that are sort of forced upon them. And one of the things I thought was kind of interesting about the movie is that it's not a straightforward type story of like the government being this like malicious force that... Um, it's not sort of cartoonishly evil or whatever it wants yeah, to like yeah. control and destroy them but it obviously although the, the 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 way that the people behave is like compassionate and the way the system is set up does benefit them in some ways it's also clearly not dealing with the root cause of the problem it's yeah. still trying to like fit a guy in where he doesn't belong at all and will not you know doesn't know how to handle him basically 
and such things can't help but be dehumanizing and it's the the movie's attitude seems to be well it has slightly it's sort of vaguely similar air to a few recent films about like the american modern american landscape you know traveling across america um like uh what was that maybe lean on pete yeah um and uh only because ben foster was also in it but even something like hell hell or high water where it's like other films about an america where the institutions have broadly speaking failed they don't really interact with people correctly something weirdly post-apocalyptic about everything it's exactly it's all a bit dystopian (laughs) it's like the the i mean and it's shot um leave no trace is shot in this kind of quite flat man almost documentary type way in the way that it looks uh which just emphasizes the coldness of everything it's very like all of the buildings and stuff are very sterile looking and uh yeah it's that it's that similar kind of thing of like this isn't a society anymore you know it's just like a collection of people which i thought was like quite effectively done you know it's just like about compassionate people trying to do what they can in this like world that's not looking after them yeah and i just think it's very reductive you know i I agree and i there's just it sounds like a cliche which is sort of the general the idea of the script where like it's the father and daughter but like the daughter's sort of the carer you know she's looking after him or is he like this kind of weird symbiotic relationship where like there's sort of power dynamics the wrong word but it's sort of like ebbs and flows of like who's looking after who yeah absolutely yeah. it's just really really well done and it's the sort of thing which i think a lot of movies attempt that's such a sort of like broad idea for a movie and like nine times out of ten it sucks but like this one's really good yeah and I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's very. I was swept up in it, and well, I thought it would like it was really well paced. It didn't outstay its welcome. It kind of took its time, but it wasn't. It was never slow. And I think like any time that it threatens to become dull, something happened. Yeah, in, yeah, a, the, in a standard uh, bit of good screenwriting, <laughs> <laughs> it ensured that there was enough events basically to keep it interesting. Yeah. Um, one um, the one final thing I would say about Leave No Chase is that it's kind of interesting in the way that um, towards the end of the movie, there's a depiction of like a real, what seems like a real community and it serves dramatic functions for the characters, but it also seems like a way of saying like, this is a preferential way for people to live. Like it's got a bit more of a kind of positive statement rather than a negative one in that, like it's not just solely about, you know, hollowed out cities or whatever, but it's also, seems to have some kind of message like uh, of the of the better way of living in a kind of simpler smaller way i'm not saying that that's like convincing necessarily but it was just interesting that the movie felt like it has like a real preference of like uh you know don't live totally by yourself the city is bad but maybe some kind of like quasi rural um old-fashioned community where people like tend the land rather than being on their smartphones is is you know is a much better way to live yeah I don't know. It has that kind of like, yeah, attitude. I liked it. I liked it's it too. That's good. 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 Yep. Good first When Graf heard something that changed his life, what he listened to. When John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, just time for a quick, another bit of news. 
So it's not going to be as mocking and contemptuous as our earlier news segments. We've got something a bit more positive to talk about. Yeah, we can do other things. Greta Gerwig, uh, who's riding high currently after the success of Lady Bird, which everyone thought was terribly good. Uh, her next project is going to be an adaptation of Louisa May Alcott's Little Women, who um, a lot of people read in school I think in America. Um, I have not read. I was reading uh, big men fight battles books. Sharp. Men. <laughs> All the sharp books. I actually did read a bunch of those sharp books. Uh, Flashman books. They're kind of shit. Anyway, uh, so I haven't read it, but I'm aware <laughs> that it's very popular. And there's soon some casting announcements about this movie. And uh, she has got all the hottest uh, people to be in her film. She's got the pick of the pack, basically. Saoirse Ronan, Emma Stone, Florence Pugh, who you may recognize from Lady Macbeth. What? Florence Pugh's in it. Don't tell me Timothy Chalamet's in it. He's in it. Too. What? And Laura Dern has also been announced. The Dernster. And Meryl Streep, who simply will not let some kind of prestigious um, female literary female-centric <laughs> adaptation go without starring in it. So, Danny, I am aware, my sources inform me, that you have seen a couple of screen adaptations of Little Women. Yes. And what are your takes on the casting announcement so far? I think this is this is all great casting. I'm, I'm only... F- well, I've seen both film adaptations i've seen the winona Ryder one more recently the 90s one yeah but i can totally see saoirse ronan as joe she's like a headstrong she's a bit elizabeth bennett-esque oh cool kind of headstrong because the dad's gone so the women have to fend for themselves and she's the oldest so sounds she's like the like, guardians and uh i can totally see uh chalamet as laurie who's the sort of love interest and so there'll be it'll be like ladybird again there'll be a chalamet ronan uh Pairing. Yeah, there'll be an awkward sex scene, as there is in the original <laughs> Little Women book. Yeah, I mean, I'm not super familiar with the text, but it's a classic for a reason, and it's an awesome group of actresses. Yeah, I'm a little and bit bored of Meryl Streep, I had to say. Like, a little bit. The <laughs> Meryl Streep impression. I'm so full of doubt! Yeah, but, you know, whatever. She's I mean, like she Judy is, She is a right? good just actress. turns up and does her yeah, thing. It just feels like, like it's a bit like the thing now. Yeah, but uh, I love Laura Dern. I love Laura all those actresses. Great. I haven't seen Florence Pugh in anything, but I hear she's good. She was good. Good in Lady Macbeth. I love Chalamet. And yeah, one of the best things, I think mean, we mentioned this on the review, but one of the best things about Lady Bird was had that kind of great kind of barreling forward momentum to it. So it's only 90 minutes, but it feels like it's two hours long in a way because it packs so much stuff in. Yeah. And I like the idea of like, I mean, I don't know how Greta will be adapting the, the uh, material, but, you know, a, a period drama with a pep to it. Because often they kind of fall... In, like the, the Guardians is a lot like, you know, and so life was slightly slow and we went yeah. somewhere. I'd rather watch it in French, to be honest, because I would find the sort of traditional English reserve a little bit great. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's, you know, been real exciting. There's yeah. a lot of sh- shit happens. There's some laughs in it. There's some tragedy. Nice. Uh, it's got an ending. Good. Perfect. I uh, won't say if it's happy or sad, but it's got an ending. <laughs> but it does end. It does end. Well, that's a relief. Uh, it's good to know. Firstly, before we conclude the show, I just want to apologise for the hoovering noise that's going on around us. Our offices are being cleaned. The office, the film chat um, headquarters is... Our palatial office is being cleaned. Is, is receiving a deep clean. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what happened. We got a bit... We had a party last night and things got out of hand. And yeah. Let's just say... You've seen The Wolf of Wall Street? We watched that at our big party. <laughs> we watched it. <laughs> and I spilled my Dr. Pepper on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> I was so shocked by what I saw. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway so apologize for a little bit of uh background foley's there 
um, next week, anything specific that we're going to be reviewing? Or we're just going to see what's going on. There was something, wasn't there? I feel like there was something on the well, horizon. Well, I think it's Black Klansman's out on Friday. Uh, so um, maybe. It depends when we record, I depends guess. Depends when we record. Okay. Okay. All right. We'll see. Have a lovely week, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Goodbye. Godspeed. I'm just going to run through them again one more time, just so that you've got them. And when I finish, there will be a pause, and I will show you the quadruple take. Now, what you have to understand about the quadruple take is, it is not in the same style as the take, single, or double take, right? It's a different style of uh, uh, physical comedy. So here we go, just running through the take, the double take, the triple take. Our buns are the best. Double take. Our buns are the best. Triple take. Our buns are the best. <laughs> that last one was a little cool. A little coarse in its execution. <laughs> The quadruple take. Now, I've already explained to you, this is in a different style in the first three. Because the first three were based on truth, on naturalism, on spontaneous, <laughs> naturalistic acting. This, the quadruple take, is in a different category altogether. But it's the only one I know. And you'll be glad to hear that I don't have anything beyond the quadruple take. You ready? Yes. Okay. Her buttons are the best. <laughs> that might have been actually the quintuple take. I think because I, wasn't I, I lost count halfway through. But you get the principle. It remains the same. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.